Christian and Hopeful had been hanging in the net for nearly two hours when the last purple light of day gave way to true darkness. They'd said nothing to each other up to this point, afraid that any commiserating would be overheard by the wicked creature sitting a short distance off, guarding his prey and waiting for the destroyer to arrive. From the moment he'd turned his back, he'd said nothing more, but it was easy to imagine the creature bringing swift and easy reprisal upon the prone pilgrims should they try to plot an escape. The wicked, gaunt creature was still there, of this Christian was certain, but for some reason the darkness emboldened him to twist uncomfortably against the pull of his own weight until his mouth was as close to Hopeful's ear as he could manage, and whisper, How far off do you think he was when we last saw that telltale smoke? I don't know, Hopeful responded, louder than Christian would have liked. We're on high ground, and suspended higher yet above it. Might have been thirty miles, or, or maybe it was ten. I've never been good at estimating distance. My question is, if it's really Apollyon, why hasn't he simply flown up here? He can fly, no? I've seen him fly, yes, but I believe he can only sustain it in short bursts. Like a peacock, Hopeful said. He squelched a laugh, and then gave in to a wave of giddy giggling. <laughs> Shh, why are you laughing? When I was free to fight him with all my strength, I barely defeated the beast that comes our way now. What will become of us when he finds his prey neatly wrapped in a net like a bunch of apples at the market? You're right, Hopeful said. But if I don't laugh, I'll wail. And if it's not funny, it's at least absurd how we left the delectable mountains as if in a race to see who could be the bigger fool and more quickly than the other. Well, I don't think I'd go that far. No. We were given a map of the road, which we did not consult, opting instead to follow the first shiny thing to happen by, never thinking it might be a distraction to keep us from seeing the monster beneath. We were given a solemn warning, beware the flatterer. This we also ignored. You think this creature is the flatterer? Of course! He came along in our moment of indecision, as if we merited our own heavenly escort, as if we needn't be bothered seeking wisdom or having a look at the map we'd just received, or opening the scriptures to read those heavenly words. The man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And here we are, in a net. He praised our great wisdom and promised we would be rewarded richly for it. What is all that but vanity and flattery? <sighs> I confess... I thought the flatterer would be more obvious. Hopeful was silent for a moment, then added, There's a man in my hometown by that name. I've known him my whole life. He's a lot more transparent than this flatterer. I remember him, Christian said. I believe he was the last to testify against Faithful in me. And you're right. A child could see through that sycophant. Yes, and still there were some who loved to receive his empty praise, Lord Hategood among them. This flatterer who sits beneath us to deliver us into the enemy's hands is far cleverer. This we should have expected, Christian said. St. Paul warned us that Beelzebub often masquerades as an angel of light, and his servants as messengers of light. And King David, in one of his holy songs, wrote, Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips I have kept me from the path of the destroyer. And by neglecting the word of his lips, we are not only in the destroyer's path, we are now his destination. We have faced hardships on this pilgrim road before, Hopeful said, both by our own foolish disobedience and by God's unsearchable providence. 
We have cried out to Him in both cases and have every time been delivered. Let us stop chastising ourselves and instead confess our sins, humble ourselves, and pray that our God will come and save us from this beast. If we are to be chastised, let Him do it when He has delivered us. The two of them prayed into the night, and then, having cast their cares upon their Lord, they fell into a deep sleep. High and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress From this world to that which is to come John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory As told by Zachary Bartles Chapter 21 Discourse and Discipline It was in the first pre-dawn light that Christian awoke to find Hopeful's foot, which had somehow come out of its shoe during the night, pushed against his face. He retched and shoved it away, only to find the net pulling it right back in. Hopeful, he whispered. What happened to your shoe? It seemed Hopeful was already awake. My shoe? Really? I hear heavy footfalls approaching us, and the guard beneath us rises to his feet, but you're worried about my shoe. Take heart, Christian said, trying to project a sense of spiritual leadership. The sun is rising. Every morning our Lord's mercies are... But as they looked, it was not the sun that they saw coming up from the east, nor was it their dark enemy, Apollyon. Rather, a shining one came rushing into their presence, his very countenance bursting with light. In his massive fist, he held a long, glowing whip. The flatterer drew back, his long, clawed fingers tensed, preparing for battle. But when the shining one reared back and cracked the whip, the shockwave knocked the flatterer to the ground, even as it sent the two pilgrims spinning and swinging in the net. The flatterer scrambled to his feet and immediately found the whip snapped taut around his neck. He shrieked in pain and fought in vain as the Shining One drew him unyieldingly closer and closer. When he was within arm's reach, the Heavenly Warrior jerked back on the whip, sending the flatterer spinning twice round and falling in a heap. Rise now, the Shining One commanded. If you flee, I will spare you. The creature stood on shaky legs and began to stumble and trip his way into the distance. As he regathered the whip, the Shining One looked appraisingly up at the pilgrims in the net, as if they were a string of sausages he was considering in a butcher shop. Who are you, and where are you going? Sir, we are humble pilgrims, Christian said, and we were headed to the Celestial City when we were deceived and, and followed that flatterer who took us off the true way and bound us and, and suspended us here. Could you not see that the flatterer was a false apostle, presenting himself as an angel of light? We see it now, said Hopeful, quite, quite clearly. Would you have me let you down? The Shining One asked. Yes, yes, sir, yes, please. The Shining One let the whip out again, and with two wide swings, cracked it, first against Hopeful, and then against Christian. The moment it touched them, they felt as though a bolt of lightning had struck them from the sky. Neither was grounded, but the jolt seemed to be anchored in the heavens, not the earth. They cried out in pain and fear. The third crack of the whip rent the net, and the two men fell out, landing hard in a tangle of arms and legs. A moment later, Hopeful's shoe landed in his lap. 
The two of them scrambled to their knees and held their hands up in defense before the Shining One, although they knew this would do nothing to protect them from another crack of the whip. Fear not, the Shining One said, and remember the words of your king. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. He coiled the whip and hung it on his belt. This instrument leaves no scars, no stripes, for your sins were paid for on the back of your Savior. By his wounds, you have been healed. His discipline now is only to help you grow and learn, and you pilgrims are in grave need of such remedial lessons. In an exceedingly short time, you forgot the map you had in your possession, you forgot the warning you received, and you forgot the most basic principle of pilgrimage. Anyone who would lead you away from the city is not sent of the king. Yes, we understand, Christian said, and thank you. Now, I will stay here and deal with the enemy Apollyon when he arrives. You two, go back to where you left the path and resume the narrow way. And this time, be careful to heed all the wisdom of the shepherds. The pilgrims needed no further prompting and ran without rest until they were back at the fork in the road. Doubled over there to catch their breath, they observed two things. First, they could both see now, with absolute clarity, that it was no fork at all. What had seemed before to be the right-hand branch was clearly just the continuation of the narrow road, albeit with a slight curve to the right. The left prong of the fork was actually a diverging path, not only leaving the Pilgrim Road at a significant angle, but wider and covered in sandy soil, in stark contrast to the thick clay of the narrow road at this point. The second thing they saw was that ignorance was just now ambling toward them in the distance, closing the space between them. Oh, he must have called it an early night last night, Hopeful said. And walked quite slowly today, Christian chuckled as he watched the loner behind them drawing closer. Then his face fell. What is it, Christian? Here we stand, laughing at that young man's lack of progress, and yet... Had he followed with us, he would have spent the night fearing for his life in a devil's net, tasted the heavenly lash this morning, and been no better off at this point than he is now. Yeah, that that is true, brother. May this whole unfortunate episode humble us, if nothing else. Resuming the narrow way, the two pilgrims walked quickly, trying to make up for lost time, and, due to the rigor of their toil, they said nothing to each other for several hours. Then Christian pointed up ahead and said, Do you see a man coming this way? I see him, Hopeful said, another lone traveler coming softly, his back towards Zion. Let's be wise and watchful, Christian. He may be a flatterer as well. They stood still and watched the man approach until he came to a stop a few feet shy of them, and with a mocking smile said, Hello, gentlemen. How are you this fine day? We are well enough, Christian answered guardedly. And you? Even better, the man answered. Do you mind if I ask where you are headed? To the Celestial City, Hopeful said. At this, the man doubled over in laughter. To the... (laughs) What is the meaning of this? Christian demanded, but the man was unable to answer, waving them off through tears as he continued to laugh and convulse. The two pilgrims were about to leave the traveler to his hysterics when he wiped his face on his sleeve and said, 
I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was rude of me. My name is Atheist, and you are? I am Christian, and this is Hopeful, and I ask again, what is the meaning of your laughter? No, no offense, but I laugh at what ignorant people you are. He held up his hands. No, forgive me, that came out wrong. I, I don't mean to, to, to come across as I do. It's just that I cannot understand how anyone would take on such a tedious journey when you are likely to have nothing but blisters for your pains. Are you suggesting we won't be received there? Atheist laughed again. <laughs> received where? There's no such place as this celestial city in all the world. But there is in the world to come, Hopeful said. Look, I don't mean to laugh at you men. In fact, I heard the same sort of thing in the country where I grew up, and I spent nearly 20 years seeking this so-called city, and yet I saw no more of it during that time than I did on the very first day. Be that as it may, Christian said, we have both heard and now believe that the city is real and have kept our eyes fixed upon it for the space of our entire journey thus far. Atheist did a full turn, looking up and all around him. Well, where is it? I see it not. Christian and Hopeful gazed off to the east, but at this point in the road, a craggy peak and some thick trees stood between them and the shining light. It is obscured from this place, Christian said. But from the top of the delectable mountains, we saw the very gates of the city, as clear as day. Oh, as, as clear as day. Tell me, was there anything carved on them? Any inscription? Atheist smiled sympathetically at their silence. Don't get me wrong, had I not believed as you now believe, while I was in my native land, I would never have come this far to seek it. You confuse me, Atheist, Hopeful said. A moment ago, you were baffled that anyone would undertake such a tedious journey, as you put it. Now you are a very veteran of the road? Touché, Atheist said. I suppose I need only think back to my own former ignorance and gullibility to understand your motivations. But why do you assume that you are correct? Christian asked. When you are no older than me, and as far as we can tell, no wiser than either of us. I will answer that question with one of my own. Tell me this, from which direction did I just come? From the east. Which means that I went farther than you in my seeking and still found nothing. If there were something out there, I would certainly know about it. And honestly, I wish there had been. It's a nice idea, although naive, and I truly did cast aside everything I had to come seeking it, and now I head back to seek solace in those very things I tossed away to chase such fairy dreams. He looked earnestly from one pilgrim to the other. Gentlemen, I plead with you, waste no more time on this nonsense, for my sake and for your own. And with that, he doffed his hat and continued back toward the land of destruction. Hold a minute, Christian said to Hopeful as they watched Atheist approach Ignorance, who was resting on a felled tree, drinking from a water skin. I want to make sure this man does not beguile that poor knave back there. But Atheist simply offered a friendly greeting to the young man and continued on his way. Good, Christian said. I feared he would have won over poor Ignorance. Yes, I confess that he was a little convincing. When he pointed out that he'd been further along the road than we have, I, I began to wonder if he was telling the truth about the Celestial City. 
He may have taken more steps on this road, and perhaps spent more days walking it, but by his own admission, he got no nearer the city than he was the day he set out. His description of pilgrimage was on the mark, if only for him. For twenty years, he put one foot in front of the other and received only blisters for his reward. His words lose their punch when considered more closely. Hopeful agreed and began walking again. Yes, this man was quick to offer his own experience as ironclad proof, but quicker still to dismiss ours out of hand. And yet, if he truly walked this road for decades and never saw the light of the city ahead, he must be the most unobservant man to ever take up pilgrimage, or the most disingenuous. Meanwhile, we both saw the gates of the city, albeit through a glass darkly and with shaking hands. What's more, Christian said, are we not to walk by faith? This is the very heart of pilgrimage, and clearly it is something that has evaded Mr. Atheist. And it just now occurs to me that he is misnamed. For atheist means no god. And yet this man is blinded by the god of this world and serves him with single-mindedness. He may not know that he serves him. He may not think that he serves him. He may be completely convinced that he serves only himself. But that just makes him Beelzebub's ideal servant. Hopeful looked behind them and saw that ignorance was once again on the move. That youngster is still lurking at a distance. Yes, he surely does not desire our company. I'm not so sure, Hopeful said. He could have easily overtaken the two of us as we spoke with Atheist, and yet he sat and waited until we began to move again. Perhaps we should speak with him some more. Christian consented and called back to Ignorance. Join us, young man! Why do you loiter behind? Ignorance shrugged broadly as he approached them and said, I prefer to walk alone rather than with company, unless it is the best sort of company, of course. Christian winked at Hopeful and said, Would you consider walking alongside us for a while anyway and redeeming the time with some conversation? What sort of conversation? The best sort, of course. Tell us, how is it between God and your soul? It is well. At least, I hope so. I'm full of positive thoughts that enter my mind and comfort me as I walk. Such as? Such as thoughts of God and heaven. I can't imagine I'd be comforted by such if it were not well between the Lord and me. Hmm, Christian said, his brow furrowed. If you've something to say, ignorant spat, then say it. I may be young, but I can bear up under your scrutiny. I was just remembering that even the devils think of these things, of God and of heaven. Ah, uh, yes, said Ignorance, but unlike them, I have a desire for these things. The best of books tells us the soul of the sluggard desires and gets nothing. Ignorance rolled his eyes. <laughs> You're not hearing me. I not only think of these things and want them, but I am no sluggard. I have left everything behind for them. Have you, though? Christian asked. To leave all is a very hard thing, harder than many think. Tell me, how do you know that you've truly left all for God and heaven? Why, my heart tells me so. But does not the word of God tell us that the man who trusts in his own heart is a fool? But that is spoken of an evil heart, sir. Mine is a good one. How do you know? Hopeful asked. 
If the heart of man is deceitful above all else, and desperately wicked, as the scriptures say, it seems to me that an evil heart could deceive a man and convince him that it was good. Ignorance sighed. Again, I say, because it comforts me with hopes of heaven. I feel we are going around in circles. But how do you know it's not a false comfort meant to deceive you? Isn't that just what a deceitful heart would offer? That is a good question, Ignorance said, and I have a good answer. You see, my heart and my life agree. Therefore, my hope is well grounded. Who told you that your heart and your life agree? Why, my heart tells me so. I think you are correct. We are going around in circles, Hopeful said. Your heart tells you that it is good and not deceitful, and that your life bears witness to that, but if your heart is lying, how would you know? Can't you see that unless the word of God bears witness in the matter, all other testimony is worthless? You men are overcomplicating everything. And since you brought it up, this, he gestured between them, this right here is why other travelers have not sought out your company. It is common sense that a good heart has good thoughts, and it is plain as the nose on your face that a good life is lived according to God's commandments. I mean, come on. I agree entirely, Christian said, but it's one thing to assume you have all this, and another to truly have it. Let me question you and see how you like it, Ignorance said. You tell me, since you are so very wise, what would you consider good thoughts and a good life lived according to God's commandments? That's a big question, Christian said. There are so many different kinds of good thoughts. Thoughts about ourselves, about our king, and, and many other things. What specifically are you... So, okay, start with good thoughts about ourselves. Well, any good thought about ourselves must agree with the word of God, and therefore it must pass the same judgment upon us that the word passes, which is to say that of ourselves there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who does good or seeks God, and every inclination of the heart of man is only wicked all the time, even from youth. Ignorance shook his head. I will never believe that my heart is as bad as all that. Christian shrugged. In that case, you have never had one good thought about yourself in your whole life. And if your thoughts are not good, it only stands to reason that neither are your actions. For the word of God says that man's ways are crooked and perverse, and that by nature we turn our backs on the good and seek only self-satisfaction, self-promotion, and self-glorification, all of which are the grossest forms of idolatry. It may seem backwards to the carnal mind, but these are the foundation of every good thought about self because they are in keeping with God's word. Just say what you mean, ignorance demanded. <laughs> what else have I been doing? The word of God tells us that man's ways are wicked, crooked, perverse, not good. And what's more, in our natural state, we don't even know it. In his great sermon inaugurating the kingdom, our great king of princes opened with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is where we must begin. We are by nature proud and haughty in spirit and convinced of our own goodness, but this is self-deception, and it stands as an impassable brick wall between us and our God. 
Only when our thoughts and judgment agree with the thoughts and judgment of God can that wall come tumbling down, as it did by his mighty word in Jericho. Well, you have not convinced me, Ignorance said, but I am now morbidly curious. What would you call good thoughts about God? Again, they are thoughts that agree with his word, particularly what it says about his character, his perfections, his power and holiness and all the rest. Oh, call the town crier, Ignorance said. I believe that, even by your own narrow definition, I do entertain good thoughts about God. I recognize that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, etc., and it pleases me to think about these things. But right thoughts about God would necessarily lead to good thoughts about yourself. For a God who knows all, knows every secret inclination of our hearts, and, in fact, knows us better than we know ourselves. He can see the depths of our sinfulness, even sins of which we are unaware, or only partially aware. And recognizing that all this is a good thing, and can propel us further down the road of sanctification, that is a good thought about God, and about self. And in it we see that God is so holy that our own righteousness stinks in his nostrils. Ignorance rolled his eyes. Christian, you act as though you're teaching me some deep, unknown mystery of the faith, but I already know and have known for some time that I must believe in Christ for justification and cannot approach God on my best performance. That is elementary. Huh, Christian said. Then understand my confusion when your earlier answers made it clear that you do not see your need for Christ. And yet you say that you must believe in him for justification? You don't seem to grasp original sin, nor the heaps of sin that we have all built upon that rotten foundation. Your heart is good, you say, and you will enter the city as other good men do, by the good life you have lived. How do you reconcile that with a need for justification by faith in Christ? I believe well enough for all that. Let us move on to other... No, hold on. What do you believe well enough? That that Christ died for sinners and that I will be justified before God and delivered from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his laws. Worry not about me. I see my need for Christ to make my good deeds and religious duties acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits. Hopeful grimaced. That is your confession? It is, and I stand by it. And you will not be able to upturn it, although I see that you will try. My confession is firm, like a table with four stable legs. Rather, it is four times faulty, and bound to collapse beneath any weight at all, Christian said. What do you mean, four times faulty? Let us examine these columns holding up your faith, shall we? First of all, yours is a fantastical faith. Very creative indeed, but nowhere found in the scriptures. Creative in that you speak of justification using the same language as the holy book, but you speak of something else entirely. Secondly, it is a false faith in that it removes justification from Christ's own personal righteousness and applies it to your own. Thirdly, it is a misplaced faith, for such a thing makes Christ the justifier of actions, not of people. And fourthly, it is a deceitful faith, 
which will leave you under God's wrath on the day of judgment. True faith makes us horribly aware of our own sin and our lost condition and sends us flying to the cross where we find refuge in Christ's perfect righteousness. And true justification does not make our own feeble and often sinful efforts at obedience acceptable before God. Rather, it declares us righteous and acceptable before God despite our best attempts at keeping the law. Our own lives are not polished and shined up by Christ's blood until they look good enough to the Father. Rather, our sins and rebellion, including our most righteous deeds, which are filthy rags in His sight, are laid on Christ's shoulders as He dies and His own righteousness is placed upon us in exchange. Can you not see the difference between this beautiful, mysterious truth and what you confess? Ignorance chuckled. I don't believe you've thought this through. If a person is justified by Christ completely apart from his own conduct, well, that would unleash everyone who calls himself a Christian to follow his own lusts and and live as the heathen do. By your doctrine, it would make no difference how we live, wouldn't it? (laughs) You are aptly named, my friend, Christian said. Your very answer proves what I've been saying. You are ignorant of what true justification is and just as ignorant of its true effects, which are that it wins over the heart to Christ so that we love his name and his word and his ways and his people. We hate those things we used to love in the flesh and love what we used to despise. Ask him if he ever had Christ revealed to him from heaven, Hopeful said. Ask me what? Okay, I see. You men buy into revelations and the like. It's all coming together. Your fanatical yammering has been the fruit of disturbed brains. Hopeful frowned. Young man, Christ is so hidden in God from our natural comprehension that no one can know him as Savior unless God the Father reveals him. That is your faith, not mine. And I'll have you know, mine is as good as yours, although it involves fewer whimsical fancies. Be careful, ignorance, Christian said gravely. You should not speak of these things so lightly. Pray to God that you will be awakened and see your own wretchedness and fly to the Lord Jesus, who is God himself, for his righteousness, so that you might be delivered from condemnation. Oh, I can't keep up with you. Your pace is as frantic as your doctrine. Besides, I grow rather sleepy. Undoubtedly a side effect of your dizzying interrogation. I think a short rest would do me well. Farewell, you two. He then slowed to a very crawl. Christian and hopeful carried on a pace, and ignorance trailed behind once again. Before long, though, their own pace slowed as well, and they found that both their eyelids and their limbs were growing quite heavy. The road before them appeared a very dark and foreboding lane, and from behind them a hideous noise, scurrying feet, snarling, snorting, and wailing, was suddenly closing in. Looking back, Hopeful saw a group of demonic creatures packed tightly together, drawing ever closer, and it was all he could do to throw himself out of the way and pull Christian down beside him. Lying there in the tall grass, they watched as seven devils, some of them with canine features and some of them resembling swine, passed them by. 
shoving and prodding a shirtless man along the road, his face downcast and his hands tied at the wrist. There's something written on that man's back, Christian said. Some, some words burned into it. Hopeful stood and squinted in the low light. I, I can't make it out. He took a step after them and said, I, I have to know. Against Christian's objections, he quietly ran up alongside the unholy band for the space of 30 steps. He then returned to find Christian strapping on his shield for battle, although he was pale and visibly shaken, in addition to the lethargy they both felt. Well, Christian said, what did it say? Should we intervene? I don't think we should. The man was bound with seven strong cords, and on his back it read, Damnable Apostate. He is lost now in the darkness, but I saw them drag him up a crooked path, which doubled back and began to ascend. I can only assume that is some back way to the door we saw in the side of the mountain, to reach it without encountering the shepherds. Poor man, I, I wonder who he was. Christian returned his shield to his back and said, I got a look as he passed us, and I thought he might have been a certain turn away from the town apostasy, a man with whom I had several dealings in my own hometown, but he hung his head like a thief caught in the act, and so I couldn't say for sure. Was that man a pilgrim? No, at least not when I left the City of Destruction, but Good Faithful told me that many followed after in the days and weeks after I departed. I'd be quite saddened to learn that Turnaway was one of these, but that he then made up his mind to go back to his own cursed hometown. The shepherds did say that many would be turned off the way into that fearful door. Some who had come not as far as the delectable mountains, and, and some who had passed well beyond them. Yes, Christian agreed, and yet it is no less horrifying a sight for having been warned to expect it. I suppose we should make some more progress, although I am quite exhausted. So am I, said Hopeful. Perhaps we could have a, a short rest. It's as if the air here is, is making me drowsy. Christian looked all about him, feeling an odd lag between seeing his surroundings and comprehending them. Something is amiss for sure, he said. L look at this. He stooped down and pointed to a black weed growing along the road. It reminded him of the terrifying tree in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. What about it? Hopeful asked. Just wait. A moment later, a drop of water came up from a puddle beneath the weed and gathered itself at the tip of a long serrated leaf, where it then pooled back along its veins. Behind it, tall, fan-shaped mushrooms seemed to be blooming and then shrinking back into nothing before growing up again a distance away, repeating the process continually such that they seemed to be surrounding the pilgrims. Is this some dark magic? Hopeful asked, rubbing his eyes. He sat back and thought for a moment, and then turned onto his hip, half lying on the ground. Get up, Christian barked. Do not slumber. Just a few minutes of rest, Hopeful mumbled. Then, then I'll feel restored for the journey. Christian grabbed his friend and bodily hauled him to his feet. Beware the enchanted ground. That's what the shepherd said. 
Shall we ignore yet another warning from these sages? How can we possibly be aware if we are asleep? You are right, brother, Hopeful said, shaking his head roughly. If we lie down here, we may never wake up. Let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Oh, thank God you were here to remind me of the shepherd's words. Two are better than one, Christian recited. And if not for you, Hopeful, I would have met my death more than once along the pilgrim road. Let's pass over this enchanted place as quickly as we can. What about ignorance? We can't just leave him here to whatever gruesome fate awaits him. He's probably already asleep. Ignorance! Christian called back. Do you hear me? Yes, I do! Came a sing-song response from out in the odd purple light. And I still don't wish to walk with you! Dear God, Hopeful prayed. Keep that young man from falling asleep on this ground, and give us another chance to direct him to the wicket gate. Oh, and keep us awake and alert in this mystical place. Amen, said Christian, and the two pilgrims set out once again over the enchanted ground. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2023, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and Silver. Got to get